but the game was different, right? The the, the rules was different. The ball oh, was the Euro, different. The like, Euro, the Euro style is different in America. The Euro style was a lot different <laughs> than America. <laughs> That's the Especially, first time y'all seen that Euro step too, huh? Absolutely. Uh, today on the Euro step in, uh, we have one of the most important people from a st statistical data side of things who um, I think I finally met in person when uh, I was, in, I think it was in Manchester, right? Uh, Worthing. Um, Dave Owen, uh, thank you for joining the Eurostep in. Um, tell us a little bit about yourself, man. Everyone should know by now, right? Um, yeah, I know, right? <laughs> so, day job, I work full time for Basketball England. Um, still absolutely feel blessed to work full-time in basketball it's i think it's a rare thing in this country it's a dream i always had so i love that i get to wake up every day and influence the sport on a national level it's awesome um and then obviously most people know me for my kind of Dave Owen basketball platform so that's primarily a recruitment platform so my website that provides kind of exposure for all of our best young talent to try and you know give them that leg up to hopefully get more opportunities uh, whether that's a college in the States or professionally, um, I just try to shine a light on our best talent and make them as easy to recruit as possible for kind of overseas people. Um, and obviously I'm pretty prevalent on social media, kind of using that website platform and, and just kind of like shining a light on British basketball, um, both in terms of recruitment and talent, but I just like to kind of celebrate everything that's good about our sport and everything that's good that's going on. I try to be across everything and just share that positivity particularly on twitter which can be a quite a negative uh, space at times i like to put a bit more positivity out into the world um i love british basketball i always will so i think it's good to share anything that can kind of makes you feel good about the sport that is nice that is nice and yeah you've been around for a while um and kind of you know got fingers everywhere um connections kind of uh talk with everyone and, and, and being involved so um, on behalf of, let's say, the coaches, because I'm a British coach, uh, thank you for your work, man, and, and really appreciate what you do. Um, kind of like, you know, the origin story. Who is who is Dave Owen? Um, how did you, how did you get started? Um, you know, in 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 your role of basketball England, and um, you know, providing that service for players. Yeah, so if you take it right back, I started playing basketball in year eight at secondary school, just because older kids were playing in the car park. I walked past, it looked cool. I've always been into sport, trying new sports, doing anything different. Um, and I've always said it looked different culturally to football. Football was like aggression. Everyone wanted to fight you if you did anything good and trick them or whatever. Uh, these guys always seemed like they're having fun with it. And it was like a lot more welcoming and like, I was never naturally going to play basketball because I was like one of the smallest kids right my whole year I was like probably five foot six when I left school at 16 and then shot up to six foot um but they welcomed me in as like year 11s welcome in this tiny little year eight kid happy to let me kind of have a go and that was it I was hooked I played every day rain or shine with the older kids then also as I got older I was playing with younger kids um so it just became an obsession and I think I love the fact that I could get better at it on my own I could just be in my garden yeah. shoot. If it was raining, I was in my parents' garage dribbling. So whatever the weather was doing, I still had a ball and I was still getting better. And that meant that I got better than everyone else quickly because simply because I played every day. It wasn't talent, it wasn't coaching because I wasn't being coached. I just played every day. So pure kind of repetition put me ahead of everyone else. And obviously 
if you're better than everyone else at something, it's kind of fun, isn't it? Right. So <laughs> you're going to play it every day because it's fun winning. Um, so that was kind of where the love started from just stumbling upon it, playing, giving it a go, falling in love with it. Once you started getting the NBA, you know, follow that as a fan. And that was really it. I was a kind of no level player and an NBA fan up until 2014 when I kind of turned 30 and I decided I want to do some coaching as an experienced player. Um, kind of driven by the fact that there was no coaching in my town when I was a kid. So I was like, I want to set that up when I get old enough to have some decent knowledge to pass on, which I thought 30 is a reasonable age. Uh -huh. um, so because I was going to be coaching in this country, I was like, well, NBA knowledge is not particularly useful for grassroots coaching in the UK, right? So. I just started to kind of research British basketball a little bit and try and get my head around at least what the league structures were. So if any talented players sort of came across my sort of coaching world, I could at least know where to send them and what to do. Uh -huh. yeah. So that was my first interaction with British basketball. I probably couldn't have named a team in the BBL or a British player outside of Luol Deng at that point, which is probably a familiar state for a lot of people in the UK, yeah. um, sadly. Um, so yeah, I started looking into British basketball and I I guess being used to the NBA, I was kind of amazed at the lack of information available and how it seemed very kind of unclear because I could just about figure out the leagues. Okay, the BBL's the pro league, then we've got national leagues. Okay, like that's fairly easy. But then as I started to get into it, I was like, well, I wonder who the best British players are. Just interested to know that. You try finding that out from the internet when you don't know anyone in the sport. <laughs> Right. <laughs> Where are you going for that information? Like, it's not obvious. You can just about find out who plays for the national team. They're trying to figure out like who they are, what they're about, trying to find an interview or anything. Back in those days in 2014, there was just like nothing out there. And let's say this is someone who's used to NBA coverage. So I'm like, why is this sport invisible in this country? And the thing that baffled me was in 2014, you could not watch the BBL unless you physically turned up to an arena and watched a game. There was nothing, there was no like, what's it called, BBL player or whatever it's called at the moment. There was no Sky, obviously, there was no YouTube. You couldn't watch it on the internet at all. And I was like, okay, so I'm a fan that actively wants to watch your league. I live in Shropshire, so I'm not driving an hour and a half to go and watch a game or something. Can, can I not watch your league? No, really? <laughs> like, it was wild at the time. And I mean, that's a great example of how far British basketball's come, though, now with the, like, I think the Sky Sports Cup recently was excellent. Oh, sorry, dude. Like, I very rarely miss a Friday game now because I know what time it's on. I know it's very easy to access. I know the coverage is good, which really adds to a sport for me. I don't really want to watch a game with no commentary um, and nothing to kind of tell me about the players and give me a bit more information. So, like, that's a really good example of how far I think the sport's come. Uh, I've completely segued there from my no, but it's, yeah, no, but no, but it's definitely interesting and understanding that, you know, kind of. I always, I don't know why I always think of origin stories of like evil villains, but that's the, the origin story of you kind of saw a gap in the market as a fan of British basketball wanting to uh, know more about the sport. Now, I, you know, I'm kind of similar. I, some point i was really really good at knowing the nba stats when i was a, a new jersey nets fan um and they had vince carter and uh jefferson kenny martin. martin was my guy I love that. Like, you know what i mean and then like, so i could tell you 
hey, this person's leading their stats, this person's leading their stats. Um, like there was that one year, I think it was like four or five years, I was pretty like nerdy on the stats. Um, and Sean Marion, to my disgust, was leading the NBA at three point uh, uh, field goal percentage. And I was absolutely horrified because he's got the worst <laughs> shooting form in the, you know, and as a young coach, I'm like, hey, you have to shoot a certain way. And then, you know, kids then can go and look at Sean Marion and go, well, if he shoots like that, you're like, oh my life, you know what I mean? So it's kind of crazy. So no, I understand the, you know, what you're referencing in terms of wanting to know more about the BBL and wanting to be more uh, information. Like I'm not really like a highlights guy. I'd rather watch a full game or look at stats weirdly, because I don't feel like the highlights really tell me what I want to know personally. And I, I'm a geek, I like data and, and that. Um, like I understand why some people are dismissive of stats and I will never argue with anyone. Like, it is the eye test. I obviously watch a lot of basketball and have my own subjective opinions. But I think for me, because I have a platform where I speak about players, I don't want that to be my opinion. I want it to be facts because you can't argue with the facts. When I start talking about people's stats, that, the stats are the stats, right? You can't argue yeah. with them. Yeah. Come at me on Twitter and say you're wrong. I'm like, I'm dealing in facts. All I'm doing is celebrating people's performances and telling you who's doing well statistically. I leave it to everyone else to have their opinions and the subjectivity because I just don't want to change that whole, I don't want the hate coming back my way. Yeah. Um, and also I'd always you know, throw in a few subjective opinions there if I really like a player and they've had a great game or I just like their kind of almost off-court things of their character and who they are and their kind of inspirational. Like Miles Hessen, I tweet, tweeted about the other day, tech guy just retweeted what Mansour Ahmed said. Because I thought mm -hmm. he encapsulated what Miles is perfectly in just that warrior mentality and the fact that every single game he is there for his team and carries it on his back. And you never see his level dip, you never see his kind of will to win dip for a second. And like those are the kind of players that are just inspirational. So we should absolutely talk about that stuff, which you can only see from watching a game. You know, when you get that from a box score or highlights, because you're seeing it for the entire 40 minutes. So stuff like that is great to talk about. but. If we're talking about who's best and this and that, I leave that. I leave that elsewhere. <laughs> I hate you. Um, and the funny thing about those conversations is that you're never, you're never wrong and you're never right. Do you know what I mean? It's always subjective, and you know, you, you can always manipulate stats to kind of uh, bolster or, or diminish an argument. So um, that's an example where I think. It's the value of my work and the stats and the data is that if me and you want to sit here and say, okay, let's 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 chat, you can't, it's not a definitive answer, but between us we have a conversation about the best five male British players of all time. What I would want to do before we have that chat is use stats to get a list. So a yeah. short list. So we can say, okay, well these <clears> we can probably agree should be on the in the conversation. And yeah. then then we chop it up and talk about it and come up with the five from that and we'll probably not have the same five and that's fine because it's fun and it's a conversation but i'd always want like a starting point just yeah, yeah 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 shorten the conversation because i think if you just started if we started talking about it now you'd be like i don't even know where to start like there's some obvious names but then you're worried about who you're missing you haven't really done your research that kind of thing so i always think stats should be that's almost the starting point of who we're going to talk about or as a coach who you're going to scout and who you're going to get the eye test on for recruitment and all that kind of thing. It, it's basically an instant shortlist, isn't it? Is the kind of value in stats. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I like that, an instant shortlist. Um, so looking at Dave Owen basketball, 
would you say is it's more of a reference site, you know, like basketball um, reference, uh, or would you say it's like a service? How do you kind of, I know it can be a mix, but you know, also I know college coaches have reached out, national team coaches reached out. Um, how would you encapsulate it? I'd say it's core purposes as a recruitment platform. That's the motivation, I guess, behind it. The, I want to shine a light on our British talent and I want them to get recruited and, and get opportunities. Like even if it changes with one kid's life, the coach saw them on my website, whereas they wouldn't have seen them if my website didn't exist. That That's the purpose right there. That gives me the motivation to do what I do. Um, so it's absolutely a recruitment platform for exposure um, because like obviously highlights float around on social media and they're posting they're there for a few days and someone might catch them. But having a permanent platform and a reference point is so important because you need to be able to Google a kid and then, okay, now I see a professional looking profile. It's got the highlights, it's got the stats. You click here to email their coach. So you've got the easy contact, you know, having to go and sort of research and find out who they play for and how to contact them and all that. It's, it's a one-stop shop for recruiting in the UK. And obviously the easier I make that process, the more opportunities our kids get. So mm -hmm. I'm trying to give a coach as much information as I can and the key thing is it's information, it's, it's factual information. It's all there for you to then make your judgment. Like, I'm not gonna do your whole job for you. I'm not gonna tell you who you should recruit. I'm gonna tell you who you should look at and then you do your job and now I'm gonna do your uh, scouting and eye test and see about recruiting them. Um, so it's definitely that, it's, it's the recruitment platform for exposure, but then the other part of it that is also close to my heart is the recognition aspect of it. So yes, we should all be doing social media content and uh, sorry, um, recruitment content on our, our top talent now and talking about what everyone's doing now, but we shouldn't forget who did maybe better than them 10 years ago, just because they're not around anymore and they're not playing, we can't really talk about their latest game. It's really, really important mm -hmm. to me that we celebrate the great careers of past players. So all of the better players I'd say most of them on the male side are done. I've still got a lot of work to do on the women's side because that's why the website is newer. So a lot of the, the players in the past are not on there yet. That's my bad, I'm one person. It's a free time project, it will happen eventually. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's something I think is really important because I'm really big on wanting our players that should be icons to be icons. I want every young player in this country to know the Joe Leadhams and the Andrea Congrees and the Steve Bucknells and all these other names and not just know them but really understand just how good they were um, and because a lot of these players played when there wasn't a lot of video around that's challenging because um, you can look at the numbers of course and stuff like that so the project that I've been I've mentioned a couple of times in the past and I still haven't gone public with um, I'm doing a documentary series on some of these players no. so it's Everyone keeps telling me they're too long. The first one I've done is an hour 45 and it keeps saying people, it's the tension span these days and you can only do 20 minutes or whatever. I'm like, I feel that's a bit disrespectful to someone's yes. career. Thank you. Yes. 20 minute or whatever. Like yes. an hour 45, we're talking about like 20 years potentially of someone's career. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Let's give it a due and talk it through. No, if you're, if you're that, if you're that, um, interested you'll watch do you know what I mean you're all or you're not so yeah I'll clip it up for social media and put the kind of the best bits out there and the you know the big really good kind of catchphrases and bits that come out of it but if you're into it you're gonna watch it all and like the thing that I think as well like podcasts like Joe Rogan's number one podcast in the world I believe someone here's run three and a half hours so 
I listen to those. I listen to them all the time because I like having something to listen to while I work and in the background. Yeah. Like um, and most people are always trying to look for the next content. When you finish a series on Netflix, you're like, oh man, I've got to find something else to watch now because I've run out. So surely having it longer is good because it keeps you, even if you're watching three parts because you're a busy person, that's fine. It's like watching it in installments, isn't it? Yeah, and, and you know, going on transit, uh, you know, everyone's mobile and going places. Um, you know, I, I would imagine definitely there'd be a lot of video in, in you know, that documentary, but even... I think the, the crucial thing, because I always thought, okay, I've got players profiled on there. You can look up the level they played and their stats, but it would be difficult for a young player to look at one player who should be an icon and another player who was like a solid pro, let's say, and understand the difference of the levels maybe from those basic profiles but when you do a long-form documentary series and i've got everyone from around this player's career talking about them so because if you sit there and speak to the subject of the documentary they're going to play themselves down and be very kind of modest because that's kind of our culture in the uk so i needed to get other people to talk mm. about them who were really close and knew the stories and some of the great stuff that happened in their career um, the way they talk about it, the way their eyes light up and the reverence which they speak with these people with so much kind of respect and admiration. That as a viewer then makes you think, wow, like this wasn't just, uh, you know, a decent pro. This guy had a serious career. And it also touches a lot on as much as people are comfortable talking about them as a person as well. It's, you know, talk to me about your relationship with them. You've known this person their whole life. You weren't just a teammate. Mm. You know why are they in your life a lifelong friend you know why is that bond been what it is what is it about them as a person that makes you want to keep them in your life and have that bond and then it kind of ends on what's their legacy like what do they mean to the sport of british basketball and it's a lovely way to kind of summarize everything you've heard of as it moves through their various career points um and then it kind of really, really makes you appreciate kind of their standing in that sort of almost hall of fame that should exist one day of british basketball uh, side note, we're going to get sidetracked and we're going to have to jump back in another day. Um, what I heard there was some sort of, have we got that? Is that at the O2, the Hall of Fame? No, we, we have a National Basketball Heritage Centre in Worcester. Okay. But that's where all the kind of like documents and everything from the history of the sport are there, all the kind of records and who won the league and all that kind of stuff, photos and all that cool stuff. Um, I believe a Hall of Fame, it, I think there's a group of people linked to the Heritage Centre working on that as far as I know, but I'm not close enough to speak definitively on that. Um, I did hear about that. Let's see if I can squeeze in one more question before we uh, log out and log back in. Um, so, you kind of briefly mentioned you're one man, um, you're not getting paid for it, but obviously the work that you do, everyone tells you how important it is. Have you ever thought about stopping or switching sports? Yeah, not for a second. No, basketball is my love. It's been since I was 11 years old. You know, and I know so many people in the British basketball community now that like, I feel very obligated to keep doing what I'm doing. <laughs> um, it's obviously challenging. Um, and to be fair, I'm not a one-man band, I'm a two-man band because I do not have website skills. Like, I don't know how to do coding and all that kind of stuff. So I'm extremely fortunate, but <clears throat> my best friend, is an excellent uh, web development so he started out doing it for free um just as a mate uh, still extremely grateful for because that platform would not exist without him it's my idea it's my data it's my vision but i didn't have the technical ability to do it i didn't have any funding to pay someone else to do it so it wouldn't have happened without him um 
and now obviously we have some money from patreon from um people who kind of choose to kind of donate and support it which is vital because if you're not getting any money for it it's not about making money but at the same time it's it's money. it doesn't have value if it doesn't have any money coming in so it's not about the amount i get because it's not my income but it kind of tells you you're wasting your time if it's not of value to anyone if that makes sense mm. Whatever money comes in, I just split 50-50 with him because, you know, he does as much work um, as I do in terms of making the platform viable. Um, obviously, the goal is to make it sustainable long term. I think we worked out we both probably put in about 20 hours a week on it at a time, uh, minimum 10 hours a week. So it, it's kind of a lot. It's like a part time job, effectively. Um, and we're currently kind of divvying up about £200 a month off um, Patreon. So is, if you want to work at that hourly rate, I don't want to work it out because I don't think I want to know. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, no, don't do it to yourself. Um, but no, and I, I guess I had the same kind of conversation with myself. Um, similar, uh, two-man band. Um, you know, I've got my editor who, you know, these episodes, especially when I record them at the start of a season or at the end of a season when I'm, you know, getting through it, um, there's a lot of editing to do. Um, and the graphics, I think the graphics is probably the big, the biggest thing um, that I don't have the knowledge for. So, you know, I pay. I mentioned, yeah, that took so long to do. <laughs> I'm not that keen to do another one because it's so much work. It's yeah. so slow as well. It's a slow grind. Um, so yeah, for me, it's, it's always, but, um, you know, even talking to you, uh, before we really got going and, um, it being beneficial for someone like yourself, I think that for me is, is great. I've had parents reach out and say, you know, they, they appreciate, you know, the, the, the platform and it's opened their eyes to so many things, even understanding the different levels between junior college, NAIA, NAIA um, D3, 2, 1, whatever. Um, I think that's been really good um, and positive. You know, the fact that I've been, been around, sorry, I've been around a while and knowing the players and parents that want to get their kids to these levels, I think that's made the biggest, biggest jump. But I think as you just touched on there, when you get a message from someone kind of recognizing or appreciating what you're doing. That has so much value and it almost buys another month of you doing what you do. <laughs> and it's something I really encourage anyone listening to this, anyone involved in British basketball, literally you just sending a message to someone like Sam Nita or someone who does so much for the game, just saying, I see what you're doing, I appreciate it. That's all you need to do to give someone that just little bit of boost to keep going. Cause it's, it's a grind for all these people out there kind of setting up their Patreons and trying to find a way to make what they do sustainable and balancing the time of doing it versus actually making a living and paying their bills. You know, we're all in the same boat because of the resources in British basketball. Um, and I think if you can't afford to support someone via Patreon, sending a message can be almost just as valuable just to buy their time for a little bit longer and give them that little motivation. Cause it's just, it can often feel like you're putting all this stuff out and you're constantly grinding and going, going, I'm doing a weekly update on the stats on the website every week. And you feel like you're kind of almost doing it in isolation. You don't necessarily see the impact of what you're doing because it's not really visual. Like you can see your likes or your retweets or whatever on social media, but you know, that's not overly re rewarding, is it? I don't think for most people. Um, and most of you probably don't even have the time to look at that kind of stuff. I don't really. 
Um, so yeah, I think just encourage anyone, anyone out there who appreciates what someone does, just take that 30 seconds to send them a quick message, letting them know that because it can go a long, long way and keep some of these amazing people we've got in the store, you know, doing what they're doing a little bit longer, maybe. Um, yeah, that is, that's, you know, I think that's such a, uh, a great point. Um, just the appreciation and it's hard, right? You know, you know, you might've spent X amount of money to get the latest episode or update or put on an event and then you're like man why am i doing this you know it's silly o'clock in the morning and you're like man this is all right this this might be it and then somebody goes hey man really enjoyed the last blah 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 really appreciate it or a coach reaches out and says hey i'm i'm looking at this player what do you think and then you're like man like i'm making a difference i'm making a a change at some sort of level um and yeah it does kind of put a battery in your back to keep going um you know that, that much longer fantastic way of putting it putting a battery on your back to keep going that's amazing because it gives you energy right it's it gives you that lift like the one that's always stuck with me is um you know caleb fuller yeah i saw that i saw that letter that he wrote and he sent me a message that he gave me permission yeah. to put on my patreon as an example and that like meant the actual absolute world to me and he's a very kind of eloquent kids who had the kind of forethought to be thankful and reach out to people who helped him on the way um i think it's so important to do that because you're just blind to it a lot of the time you know i don't know you know, I see kids getting recruited. I've no idea that their coach has seen them on my website or he's gone through the normal kind of club network or whatever. I have no idea. So for someone to tell me that my website's made a difference on that level, you know, and then see the Division One scholarship, you know, it's life-changing stuff. And to know you played a part in that is, you know, it's the reason why I do all this. No, that's good. Right. So from your work and especially what we've just been talking about regarding, um, you know, being recognized and the accolades and I guess even a patron to some extent must make you feel good that someone's willing to pay for your work. Um, do you feel that you've made a change? Do you feel like you've made a, a, a big impact on the sport? <laughs> it's difficult to say yes without sounding arrogant, isn't it? I like to think so, but again, it's it's not measurable. I'm a data stats guy, right? So I need someone yeah, yeah, yeah. being the impact. You know, if I could somehow know every player where their recruitment has had my website as a part in that, like that would be amazing to know. Except if it's one, then I don't want to know. <laughs> <laughs> they say, I don't know. I don't know what the impact is. Obviously, some people reach out and, and send me messages. Obviously, I can see what kind of traffic comes in from the States and stuff like that. But yeah, it's very difficult. I think the only indication is when I speak to people, sometimes people who I wasn't even, like I didn't have a connection with, I didn't know they knew what I did or anything like that. And they speak, you know, very kind of glowingly and very appreciative of what I do. Like it, that tells me something, but obviously that is a kind of random every now and again. Like I think because I'm, I live in Shropshire, I'm very kind of away from the basketball world. You know, I don't coach at a club or anything, so I'm not kind of around people in the game and maybe don't have those kind of casual interactions like if i bumped into you you might tell me you love what i do i don't know um, yeah, yeah. i think for people to do that kind of um digitally is maybe not as natural as if you were kind of around the culture more you know if i lived in london i was always around events and games and leagues and stuff like that you'd maybe feel it a bit more i guess i'm quite isolated where i live and in terms of not being involved in club basketball maybe 
But I think that's good. I think, you know, just like at the start, uh, when we were speaking, the fact that you, the fact that you're isolated gives you the freedom, if you will, and the ambiguity to kind of mix in and fall out as much as you, you know, want. You know, there's no real allegiance to one set of people. You just, you're just seeing individuals and programs as individuals and programs rather than, all right, well, you know, he's over here, I'm with, you know, this group over here, so I'm not really messing with that, or I'm just gonna focus on these sets of people. It's, hey, I don't really care, I'm everywhere. I think, you know, with the nature of what I do, with stats being objective and, you know, factual rather than my opinion, and because I cover the entire breadth of the game, I think it's very, very important that I'm impartial and don't have favorites and you know, I'm not pushing this kid's recruitment over someone else. Yeah. Like, the numbers, I will put everyone out there who's putting up numbers. And listen, if you post your highlight tape on Twitter, whether you're on my radar or not, in terms of stats, if I see it, I'll share it. I'll share anyone's highlights. I don't I don't care. I'll, I'll always share any highlights I see because it might give a kid a chance. And if he's not on my radar, hey, maybe he should be. So like anything like that, I always say with kids, Tag me in your tweet, <clears throat> make me aware of it. I will retweet anyone's highlights. I don't mind. Um, whether you're on my website or not, you know, there is a kind of threshold with stats and, and stuff like that in terms of talent recognition, because obviously I can't create a profile for every kid in the country. It'd be very nice to, but no one has the time for that. Um, so, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I think it's it's crucial to always for me to always be fair. Um, because a lot of what I do it, it is that the passion of my recruitment platform comes from I want everyone to get a fair shot at those life-changing opportunities or NCAA scholarship or whatever it is. Um, and stats are a nice way to do that because you are just presenting facts and you're saying, well, this kid's got these stats, this kid's got these stats, this guy might have a bit more hype around him and be at the right program or, or, or whatever, have a lot of people talking about him. But actually this guy who's got pretty similar numbers and has kind of proved himself in the same way performance-wise objectively, maybe we should be talking about him a little bit more. Um, and I think, that's something that I think I've always been quite passionate about on my platform, that it creates that kind of fairness. And because I don't have any affiliation with any club or program or people, it is just very objective and fair. Yeah. Um, okay, right. So into, I guess, the big questions and, and, and how it pertains to our uh, Eurostepping uh, population. Um, since you've been doing the data, is there any trends that you can see between domestic and international? So let's say um, somebody at Loughborough D1 uh, versus a kid who's at a college program. Is there like similar um, outputs or, you know, is there, what's the difference? I think it's not necessarily a statistical thing, but when you think about the kids that tend to go to the States, there's not, if you think about, I guess, the thing about the ratio of them that are, say, 6'6 six, six plus versus the ones that are under 6'6, six, six, it's way, 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 way scaled to 6'6 six, six plus. So, okay. when comparing stats and stuff, it's kind of difficult because you're also a lot more recruitable if you've got higher. And I'd, I'd probably go as far as, say, 6'8 plus is probably the, the kind of line where you're much, much more recruitable. And I think some kids maybe struggle with that a little bit. They might, see a 6'8 player in his country who's getting a lot of recruitment interest and be like, well, I'm a better basketball player than him. But yeah, but your market's not the same because there's 500 American guards who can do very similar to what you can do. There's not 500 6'8 
people in that state or, or whatever you know there's not yeah. many people on the planet in in relativity terms in terms of talking like a 6-2 guard and i think that might be difficult for some younger players to understand that it, it's not the same market it's not you're not being recruited in the same way that that kid is so i think you definitely see that in the stats if you're you know an efficient big and then also you've got stuff like athleticism you know physical attributes that make you recruitable that would never show up in the stats so when i'm looking at stats really i have no idea if someone's jumping out of the gym every game and getting highlight dunks and that right yeah. or wrong is going to get people's attention and I, let's not talk about highlight dunks but obviously athleticism oh yeah yeah that's true game you can talk about it on the defensive end if you want to talk more from a coaching perspective and their potential as a defender if they've got athletic gifts and stuff like that so there's obviously a lot that you can't see in the stats where if you were literally looking at the stats you say well why on earth is that kid recruited over this kid and it's like well you, you have to know that kind of context of you know what how big are they how athletic are they and then obviously there's the academic side as well which i don't have any awareness of you know i wouldn't have any need to look at someone's academic situation that should be quite private i don't think i should be putting stuff like that on twitter about what their gpa is or, or whatever i don't think that's really my platform's role to do that um but again that's obviously a big factor in how recruitable you are to an academic institution what you know what your grades are and then there's obviously all the character stuff as well you know what's what impression are you giving that coach when he's on the phone to you you know are you going to be coachable are you going to be a leader are you going to be the best teammate on the program all that kind of stuff no i yeah I, I think those are um big variables that i think not everyone understands um especially if you've got a six three guard who's you know really good um and wanting to make the leap or wanting to make the jump versus a six nine um you know counterpart Do you know what i mean there's a big difference and yeah i think the stats um is one thing and we kind of talked about earlier stats being one thing and the eye test being another thing do you know what I mean sometimes they don't always marry um, um you know. sorry to interrupt I think the other crucial one is um actual potential like their ceiling yes sometimes you'll get a player who's performing at this level but a coach's opinion may be that he doesn't have that much further to go in terms of his grossness ceiling and then you'll get a player that's not performing at the same level as him but they can see his ceiling is up here and exceeds this player. So he's got the potential in two, three years time to actually way outperform that player. And again, that would be something that's very, very difficult to understand as a young player. You're like, I'm killing this guy right now. I'm way better than him. You know, to understand that he has potential to go a lot higher in the game. And obviously, if you're talking like a four year college program, that's probably very attractive because you're probably not going to play anyway much in freshman, sophomore year. So if you've got this kid who's got a way higher ceiling and you know as a senior he's going to win you some games and how to get you a raise or keep your job or, or whatever they're thinking about in that, in that coaching world, right? It's it's factors. Yeah, it's an, and it's an investment. I think a lot of the kids that have been on the show previous have mentioned it, but I don't think a lot of kids going into it understand that it's a business. There's a business side of it. And a college potentially wanting to have you for four years or a junior college wanting to have you for two years it's a financial investment do you know what I mean they're investing their uh their money in you becoming a certain type of player to help the program achieve whether that's being able to you know as a junior 
junior college being able to say, we're going to spend a hundred grand on this kid, flights, kit, whatever, classes. We're going to spend X amount on this kid for him to be able to move on to uh, another program to make us look better, to get another recruit in. Like that's, uh, that's understood from the coach's point of view. So, you know, it's not just, hey, we like this kid. He's got a great personality. He can hit a three occasionally. It's like, no, we want to be able to develop and push him to send him to a program. So it makes us look better. And then we can get another kid in to then, you know, be successful, win a championship, blah, blah, blah. So yeah, there's a lot, there's a lot that goes to it. Um, British kids have got to understand as well that it's a big risk for a US coach to recruit you over a US recruit because they can go and watch that US recruit like every week. They can go and meet the family. They can go do the whole thing in person. Yeah. They like to recruit an overseas player. That's a different situation. Or they can come over here and, and watch them. But you know, it's, it's a different um, thing than driving around the states. You know, flying over here and trying to see as many as kids as you can in probably one isolated game. You know, and then I would assume that the actual process of getting them over and the admin and potential fees and all that side of thing. I don't know too much about it, but I'm assuming that is a bigger investment than recruiting a Yes, it's a lot. It's a lot more money as somebody who's who studied here in America. Um, international fees uh, is a lot more than a domestic. Um, I know when you are being recruited, um, a, a good portion of recruits uh, fit a certain demographic, so they're allowed to apply for financial aid, which then takes money off of, like you're cheaper to a program. If they were an international, you're not able to apply for certain funding or financial aid and you cost more than a domestic so now you're quite kind of double triple um the investment if you will so um it's it's tough and they need to understand or or, or take that into consideration i think it must um, be. so like, i'm a very empathetic person so i try to understand someone's point of view and what it's like to walk in their shoes before maybe like making a judgment on what they do so like you could easily say if a coach kind of treats a kid wrongly if he pulls their scholarship or they lie to them in recruitment or whatever they do that you feel like that's not right you could easily criticize them but then if i'm thinking about it if i'm in that role i've got a choice between doing what's maybe morally right for this player or keeping my job and having the salary that feeds my family and when you put it in those terms, we're going to feed our kids over uh, <laughs> the right moral decision. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah, right. It's those kind of decisions. I wouldn't want that job. That's tough. It's it's tough and cool. You understand, especially when you're in, in this field for a while, you understand certain things work out, certain things don't. Not every kid you recruit is going to uh, come in, produce, have great minutes. Um, not every kid's going to stay healthy throughout the duration. Um, so there is a risk factor. Obviously, you want the bet. You're, you're trying to bet 100, but you're never going to bet 100, right? So, um, And that risk factor as well, we're talking about with recruiting UK kids. It might be the first time they've ever left the UK, been away from their family. You have no idea how they're going to adjust to that, right? Yeah. So, <laughs> that human factor yeah. again in the recruitment. Yeah, and that's, you know, um, you, you go back to any one of the season one episodes um, and, you know, even these in this season, um, kids will act different, 
you know, when they're away from their support networks, whether it being positively or negatively, you know, uh, they change as individuals trying to cope with uh, the change that's going on. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a big, it's a big uh, adjustment. It's a big risk. Um, definitely. Looking at players' experiences as well from the outside, the kind of on-court doesn't always parallel with the off-court. So you might see someone put up great numbers, everyone's talking about them, they're really successful, but they might be really, really unhappy off the court and with the lifestyle of being away from the family, they might hate it, but still be performing because they just have that mentality to still perform. And then on the flip side, you might look at someone's numbers and be like, oh, like they're, they're, they're terrible. Like that's, that's not a good situation for them. But actually, they're in Miami, they've got a four-year scholarship, they're getting a great education, they've made amazing friends, they love everything about the lifestyle out there, and they're planning a career outside of basketball, and they're yeah. way happier than this guy who, from a basketball perspective, appears more successful, which you'd assume would make them more happy. But, you know, it's oh. a lot. It? there's a lot in that experience off the court, right, that influences it. And there's a lot as well that uh, the individuals go out there for basketball, and they end up pivoting and finding something else. You know, hey, I, I enjoy this more, or do you know what? The realization of, you know, me and you spoke off, off, uh, off mic, I guess, uh, about your ability of playing basketball, and you was great in school. And then when you, you know, broaden your horizons a little bit, you're like, ah, oh, I'm not really that great. A lot of these kids are good to great or great to good, if you want to go down where they're from. And then they come over to the States and they re they meet people that eat, sleep, breathe, that, that's their every fiber. And then they go, ah, oh, actually, I just kind of like the sport. You know, I'm not that, I'm not as great as I thought. Uh, I want to pivot and go in a different direction. So, which I have no problem with. And that's, you know, the joy of this platform is to, Hey, I'm just trying to give you the information for you guys to kind of make that decision yourself. I think going to the States is a great opportunity, period. And if you've got the opportunity to go and experience it, then do it. I think I've always had this thing, like as I say, from my own experience of thinking I was a really good player at school, but I just wasn't playing against anyone who was a legitimate player. Um, so I say that if you've never played against anyone who's better than you, you're either the best player in the country or you need to play at a different level. <laughs> yes, yes, definitely. Because if you never come up against anyone better than you, like you're not playing at the level you should, or you are literally the number one kid in the country, right? Literally. Um, but you got to broaden, broaden, broaden that horizon. See, to be fair, even with that, if you're the number one junior in the country, you should be playing against senior players that should absolutely be better than you. So. There's always a level you can go to, even within the UK, where you can play against someone that's going to challenge you and kind of find out, well, you know, where you really are at in terms of your level. I think so too. Um, is there any relation between good? Uh, uh, is there any relation between good statistics domestically that turn out to have good statistical output uh, internationally? And it doesn't just have to be America. Is there any? one that you see um, that you can project or that has stayed consistent? I'd say the most translatable is probably blocks. If you're a shot blocker, you're a shot blocker at every, whether that's GB on the 16s, junior leagues, senior leagues here, then you go to college. That's the one that seems to 
translate through to those levels, even if you're playing limited minutes. So like the one that jumps to mind immediately is Kingsley Okoro. Like he'd had stupid block numbers at every level. And even when he went to a high major and was maybe only playing 15, 20 minutes, he was still getting maybe like two blocks in those 15 minutes. Um, whether that was just a case of they understand very specifically that that's their role and that's their ability. And it's, I guess if you're a shot blocker, you're not reliant on the coach giving you a role that allows you to do that. You're probably just going to do that, right? <laughs> because yeah. um, it's, you're not going to be kind of, you know, handcuffed or whatever people call it these days by the coach that's going to stop you doing that thing that you're good at with shot blocking. I think you're always going to have the freedom to do that if you're good at it. Whereas maybe if you're a three-point shooter or you're a scorer and you're not in the situation where the coach wants you to do that, you're not going to hit those numbers that you're maybe hitting, you know, at a different level. Ooh. Three-point uh -huh. shooting is an interesting one, but it does translate. But as a lifelong sniper myself, <laughs> it's, it's so mental, isn't it? You know, even the highest level, really good shooters have up years and down years, and it can really get in your head. It's not necessarily down to kind of roll or actual ability. I think a lot of that is mental, but you'll generally see three-point shooters will, will kind of translate across levels, I'd say. Huh, okay. Um, blocks and threes, that's a pretty, uh, free throws not, doesn't translate. <sighs> I guess the percentage does, but obviously the volume. Oh, yeah, the attempts and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah that makes sense. Yeah. Really, really vary. If you're stuck in a 3 and D role and you're not really going to be getting to the line too much, then shooter, but your coach just is not going to give you the opportunity to take more than like one every few games or whatever. So, yeah, the percentage would be solid, but I, whether you'd ever get the volume you need, depending on different roles, maybe not. Yeah. Um, Maybe offensive rebounding is another similar one that you're not going to be probably not going to be limited by that by your coach that much. And again, you can do it in limited minutes, similar to blocks. So that's probably another one. Okay. Um, are there any indicators of players that should uh, that you think should go overseas? You know, is there any uh, from the stats, the data that you collect, and you think you know what? this kid would be great to go and play at Duke or Kentucky or play for Barcelona. Mm -hmm. um, we kind of spoke off mic about my kind of projecting players yeah. based kind of thing that's kind of in development, a little bit hush-hush at the moment. Um, but that kind of looks at, so I focus on, let's say we've got a 17 year old here and he's putting up these numbers. My system would project what level he could eventually perform at. And when I say perform, I mean proving themselves at that level. So getting kind of like 10 efficiency on a 500 team, for example, as a, as a kind of proven player at that level. So the journey that player takes to get to that level, whether it's staying in the UK, going to Europe, going to America, whatever it is, that doesn't really matter to me. So I wouldn't project that next step because to say someone out there at NCAA Division One player, well, maybe they're going to go to Europe at 14, like a Kareem Greeley or whatever. So it's like, it doesn't, I don't really want a rating system that tells them where they're going to go at the college level, because that might not be the next, the best route for them personally. And I don't know if you've touched on this with the Euro stepping, but uh, a clearly very switched on kid that I spoke to about what his plans were. He was saying that if you go to the States at 18, you have your four years, you get your scholarship, cool. But when you come out as a British player, you're now competing for jobs with Americans because of Brexit, you're no longer an EU player, so you're an import. So you're competing with Americans to work as a professional. 
if you go to Europe young, like Michael Bell and some of these kids now, if you're in certain countries for four years before the age of whatever, I don't know too much about it, you will get citizenship in that country. Now you're competing with EU players or you can stay in France or Germany or whatever. So this was, I hadn't really thought about it, but this was obviously a very smart kid who yeah. had spoken to the right people. And I was like, damn, yeah, that's actually, the American route is what we used to. That's kind of what kids aspire to. I think it's really because yeah, yeah. it's what people have done in the past, but it's very, very different now with Brexit, because if you're competing with an American for a job, you could be pretty damn good. It's a very, very different market in terms of volume and talent and everything else than if you're competing with EU spots. So it's an interesting thing to consider for the future. I think we're making those decisions. I, I think that's, yeah, I didn't thought about that. The fact of, you know, Brexit's come in and changed things now. So yeah, you're, you're, a, you got, you're, you're a import. That's crazy. That's yeah. That, that's a, whoever that young man is, uh, hat tip to them, man. That's, um, great thinking. Um, Hopefully that encourages more homegrown recruitment in the BBL if kind of there's less opportunities in Europe because you're treated as an effectively American import. Hopefully we get, you know, and it, that has that's definitely been a change in the last few years. I think as far as I can see in the BBL is the high level talent that's coming in, obviously with the London Lions, they've essentially recruited the GB national team. Um, so <clears throat> still waiting to see Miles Hessen in the BBL, but hopefully that will come one day. Um, so yeah, maybe that will be a factor that there's, there's some kind of, you know, you'd love to see it that our league recognises that and understands we need to give more pro opportunities to our homegrown players. Um, obviously, I'm always biased towards homegrown. <laughs> homegrown hype. <laughs> I, I need to see those opportunities and those are players I want to watch in our own domestic league. I, I understand, you know, import sell tickets, um, and raise the level of the league and all that. Yeah, I fully understand that, but I'm always back our players and want to see them because at the end of the day, I want to watch them as a fan and I can't watch yeah. them in the second division in France. Uh, I don't know if you have that access with your contacts, but I don't have that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You'd be forever buying league passes. Um, yes. Yeah. Oh, it's crazy. Um, last few before I let you go. Um, and this has been great, by the way, Dave. So I appreciate your time. Um, what are your views on ind individuals who have great stats, then go overseas and then have bad seasons? You know, the output, like, you know, uh, from your point of view, what, what does that signify to you? I, I guess it's two different answers depending on who we're talking about. If we're talking about a kid who's going to effectively be relying on other people to advise them in that choice and that decision, or if we're talking, you know, a senior professional who is kind of on you, obviously as an adult. So yeah. are we talking about more kind of junior players and whether uh, they go to the States or Europe? Or yeah, something? kind of like, you know, let's say post 18 and, you know, let's say they did really good and it kind of leads on from the last question. Um, but you know, they, they, they go over and they don't really have a great, and when I say a bad statistical numbers, uh, I mean, within their role that they play, right? Cause they can't control the minutes that they play, but yeah. Um, so I guess you, you as an individual have to kind of try and define why. So is it on you? Should you be taking ownership of your failure to perform? You know, whether that's mentally or you don't have the ambition or the drive to play at the level you chose to play at. 
you know, you've got to take ownership of that, even as, as a, a younger player, I think. Um, were you misinformed? You know, did you go into a situation with bad information and it wasn't the right situation? Was it not sold correctly? That's on someone else. To a point, you still want to do your research and make your own decisions. So again, there's some ownership, even in that scenario. But obviously with a younger player, you'd hope they're getting good advice and having the right people around them. Um, and then I guess to try and avoid that as much as possible, again, taking ownership and doing your research. Um, if you, I think, segue slightly, but I think the hardest thing I can imagine is being a parent who knows nothing about basketball and having a talented young child. Because they're looking to you as their parent to advise them and you don't know anything. Yeah. Um, that must be a horrible, horrible position to be in. Um, and obviously a lot of parents are in the basketball community and they're connected and it, it's fine if, you know, obviously like a Cameron Hildress who's got Dan as his dad, who knows the game inside out and has been there and done it. But obviously there's a lot of parents who are just like, yeah, my kid plays basketball. And then they start to be told that, you know, this is a talented kid, he can do this, he can do X, Y, and Z. And they're like, they don't know the world. They don't know that basketball world and how it works and how to advise their child. So that must be really, really difficult. Um, and obviously, even from a club perspective, obviously a lot of kids can come through a club that's not used to that kind of elite talent kind of pathway and helping kids get to that next level. So again, that would be a difficult position as a club where the parents will be then coming to you and saying, I don't know, do you? And they're like, not really. We've not really had this kind of level of player before um, and stuff like that. So I guess that's just what we <clears throat> have to come together as a community and make sure that it's not relying on who you know and what your network is. Everyone should be available to everyone and should be put in the hands of and saying, yeah, I'm an expert on how the logistics of getting recruited to the state. So the clearing house and the SATs and the actual administrative process come to me for that. I'm, I'm the expert for that. If you're talking about picking the right conference for your style of play and what would suit you. Okay. I know about that. Someone, you, you, anyone can call me up and ask me about that. Because at the moment, I feel like it's who you know. And if you're connected to the right people, you can be advised to go and speak to him. But I'd love to see more of a, and maybe it's something basketball could um, kind of orchestrate and knit together. But just a kind of national network. And rather than, it can't be one person who's like, you know, he's the guy to go to for everything to do with mm. states. It has to be broken down a little bit more to reduce that workload on that one individual. And everyone can kind of take ownership of one aspect of that kind of route and pathway and say and then that allows that person to dig deeper down and make themselves even more knowledgeable and insightful on it and obviously like, one person can't do that for 100 kids every season it would be ridiculous because again we're into the doing that voluntarily in your own free time yeah, 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 yeah. basketball but it certainly feels like something that we could achieve as a community that makes a hell of a lot of sense to just share knowledge in a kind of you know, very Dave Aaron basketball logic of putting people into a category <laughs> and like that. But yeah, I think there's probably a lot of people out there that are very knowledgeable and they get God knows how many messages of people trying to pull that knowledge and understand. They probably don't have the time to get back to everyone maybe. So if you break it down a little bit more and, and people are willing to kind of put their hand up and say, yeah, I'm, I'm absolutely happy. Um, and then you can also obviously always just speak to players who have been there and done it so if you are getting recruited by a division one school in a certain conference it wouldn't be that difficult to find out british players that have played in that conference in recent years and just reach out to them and say you what, what can you tell me what's the situation um 
And you can even go outside. I did this once for a play. I think he had a professional offer in some random league, say the top league in Switzerland or something like that. And uh, he was asking me, you know, what's that league like? What's the level like? like I don't know. I'm, I'm not played in Switzerland. Um, but let me let me go on Eurobasket and find an American who will speak English, who played for the team last year. He's probably on social media somewhere. I might be able to DM him. And I messaged a random American that I didn't know. I said, look, I've got a, a young player uh, who's got an offer in Switzerland next year. You played for the team. Would you mind just reaching out to him and telling him a little bit about the league, what it'd be like to play there as a first year pro, blah, blah, blah. And he was like, absolutely no problem at all. Like, give me his number. And I was like, it's so simple to do. Uh, people maybe don't think like that or they think, well, I can't just reach out to a stranger and ask them. But it's all basketball. Um, even if you don't know people in basketball, either not from your country, we all love the same thing. And generally speaking, most people, and people like sharing knowledge. You know, when you ask stuff, you want something from someone, you know, in terms of, I want some money from you, or I want a favor from you, or whatever, that's a little bit different. But people tend to like sharing knowledge because it makes them feel knowledgeable and clever or whatever. So it's usually quite exchange when you, because you're not asking them for a favor, you're just asking them to share what they know, if that makes sense. Yeah, definitely. I, yeah, I, I agree with that. Um, last question for you, sir. Um, what is your vision for Dave Owen basketball? What's where do you see it going, and what's next? Okay, so the ultimate vision is the current Dave Owen basketball recruitment platform will remain as is as a, a not-for-profit platform. Um, the kind of rating system that I have in development at the moment is has kind of commercial viability as a product to sell kind of globally outside of the UK. So the dream vision would be that the product brings in enough money to essentially sponsor the recruitment platform and make that sustainable. So we're not scrabbling around for Patreon money and everything like that. And then obviously run itself as an actual business with the products. So that will sort of knit those two things together. And obviously if I'm selling the rating, sort of the performance rating algorithm to other countries, I can also say, oh, hey, if you want that, by the way, I've got a website kind of code and infrastructure. If you want to use a recruitment platform, once you've identified your talent and you, if you want to put it on a platform, hey, I can give you that too. as kind of a package because the two things obviously knit together. One is kind of identifying talent, I guess, and rating it and understanding levels. And the next one is once you know who your talent is, well, you have to put them on a platform, put them in the shop window, if you like. So those two things kind of dovetail to go outside of the UK and be sold as a kind of concept and product to other countries. So that to me, theoretically has a lot of potential to really take off as an actual business that, you know, could be sustainable and make enough money to really do something with it. I'm not commercially minded whatsoever. I've always just done everything in basketball I have passion. So I need a lot of advice from people to make that a reality, but if it did go huge and start to go global and bring in serious money, the dream for me would like, I just want what I do to be sustainable one, but it would be amazing to get to the point where a, I can reach out to people in basketball and give them full-time basketball jobs to be a part of this business venture. Like wow. that would be incredible. And then the next level would be, okay, let's say the business is bringing in enough more money than it needs to pay me and be sustainable, whatever we've got excess income and say, okay, 
now we're reaching out to Sandita, Hoopsticks and every other platform and outlet that does so much good on so little resource in British basketball and saying, what can we do to help? Can we sponsor you? Can we do something to help you now become sustainable? And then maybe they reach a level where they can do the same down again. All of a sudden, the ecosystem of British basketball looks completely different because we, as British basketball, have created a product that can be sold to other basketball countries and bring in outside money to then filter all the way down. Like, that's the dream. I have no idea if this product I'm working on has the potential to do that, but that would be like, that would be my legacy for British basketball. I can't imagine being happier than doing something like that. Well, uh, fingers crossed for you, sir. I am definitely rooting for you. Um, again, I want to say thank you um, for all that you've done and doing uh, for coaches, for players, for parents, for you know international coaches that are recruiting and that don't get an opportunity to know um, these players and they use you as a, a way of learning and understanding more about the kids that we have in our system. I think it's um, invaluable. Um, you know, even though you have a patron, I, I, you know, I don't think you can put a price on it, especially being a, a one man slash two man band and giving up your own time to do it. So thank you so much uh, for your time and, and for hanging out with us here at the Eurostep. Yeah, anytime, man, it's been an absolute pleasure. My recruitment platform is daveownbasketball.co.uk. So if you're not aware of it yet, please check it out. It shows all our current talent, all of our retiring talent. Uh, just immerse yourself in the history of British basketball and the great players that we produced. Um, and if you like that and what I do on social media, please jump on Patreon slash Basketball and donate wherever you can just to, just to keep it going and try and make it sustainable. I appreciate it, my man. Thank you so much for your time. Thanks for watching the Eurostepping. Appreciate you watching the Eurostepping. I want to thank everybody for watching Eurostepping. Watching the Eurostepping. The Eurostepping. The Eurostepping. You've been watching the Eurostepping. The Eurostepping. The Eurostepping. You've been watching the Eurostepping, a great podcast show hosted by Coach D.